Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Haywood Evans and Eddie Rye. We're going to go right to our first guest, who is the Seattle Port Commission Chairman Peter Steinbrook. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're infringing upon the Executive Director and CEO's time, Steve Metrick. He's supposed to be in a meeting with uh, the Commissioner Press Chair right now. But uh, first of all, uh, Chair Steinbrook, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And I would just like to hear, like I've been knowing you forever, uh, from your city council days and your other days of activism. But why don't you just share with our listeners that's not as old as me uh, a little bit about your background? Oh, well, sure. Well, I, I'm an architect. I've been a community planner, uh, and I served on the Seattle City Council for three terms from 97 to uh, 2007. And uh, I've been working mostly in the public interest realm, advancing uh, uh, cities and quality of life and, and a lot of good things. So, And I recently joined the Port of, Port of Seattle Commission in 2018. It's my second year in office. So there you go. Well, that's great. And then uh, you also have a famous father. Well, I hope he still somebody still knows his name. That would be Victor Steinbrook, the architect for the Space Needle Design and the champion of saving the Pike Place market and the people and the community that existed there before Seattle got to be so big. Now, you got to remember that people who were born in, in 2000 wouldn't know that because it's oh. 2020 now. So that's why I like to have people, you know, put a historical perspective so we yeah. also educate folks and, as well. And Eddie, from that point of view, I would also say I'm born and raised in the Central District as well and went to school at Harrison, which became Martin Luther King Early Childhood uh, School. So I, I know the, the old name pretty well um, from those days. Well, uh, that's great. And then on uh, uh, the Port Commission, uh, there quite a bit is going on. as massive expansion at, at, at the airport. Uh, right. You know, last night at the event for Larry Gossett, I was able to talk to a number of the employees, and folks seem to be fairly upbeat. So yeah, I was I just, very happy to see you there, by the way, Eddie. And it was a great event in uh, uh, celebrating uh, Black History Month, our, our le black leaders in government here at the port. We have a strong community here. And, of course, Larry Gossett's legacy. And I've known Larry most of my life since I was a pre-teenager. And I've followed his arc of, of battling for justice and equality. And so I, I'm a huge admirer. And it was my privilege last night to present him a proclamation honoring his legacy. Yeah, he is, he is, well, he, uh, he is deserving. There's no question yeah. about that. Yeah, so right. uh, in terms of the port, the expansion, and uh, the waterfront, why don't you bring our listeners up to date exactly what's going on? I sure will. At the well, I'll get right to the details, which were reported to me in our full commission the other day by me and Rice, who is our, our director of contracting and equity. And we've got some pretty impressive numbers that I want to share. These are real numbers, let me say, regarding uh, the massive increase uh, in. Um, uh, the contribution of uh, one particular project, the International Rivals Facility, which is a um, the biggest project we have going at C at SeaTac uh, right now. It's a billion-dollar project, and we increased our port uh, contribution to women, women and minority-owned business enterprises from the previous year of 5.3 percent to 2019, 15.7%, which totals over $100 million going to Wemby contractors at, for one project. It's phenomenal. It's unprecedented. 300% increase, and it exceeds our goals that we set. 
And that's good because the last numbers I saw, yeah. being toughest, they were not that great. So I'm glad. And, you know, the experience you have in being in business yourself, you know how to look at things and you know how to be an advocate. And I do appreciate that about you as well. Thank you. And uh, I've heard through the grapevine that uh, even the staff enjoy working with you and your advocacy on what they're trying to do about bringing equity and equality to all the people uh, oh, in the poorest jurisdiction. That's, that's really good to hear, and I feel the same. I, I'm enthralled with the great people who we work with here at the port. We work together. We're a team. We're all in it together. And I and my among my goals is to absolutely advance uh, the um, our goals for equity and inclusion uh, and uh, all the work that's going on. We've been behind the curve, frankly, Eddie, for years, and I think we're starting to see some very significant improvements here at the port and with, with our sharing the love here. And Hayward, i got to say hi. How are you doing? Hey, good, good. And I had a question for you now. We Absolutely. know that, that you're doing great things at the airport. Embrace it and appreciate it. In fact, we appreciate you being uh, one of the commissioners. Uh, my question goes around marine industries. Okay. We know there's going to be a huge, huge boom in that area. The uh, you go out to uh, um, you go out to Ballard, the Fishman's Terminal. You know that whole thing needs to be replaced. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's being done to make sure that our young people, communities of color, because you don't have particularly African American children who really, really look at the opportunities that exist in marine industries and and, and kids of color and the poor overall. What's being done to reach out to them to make sure that they're going to be uh, uh, first in line, hopefully, or into oh, a apprenticeship sure. program and get a job? appreciate you bringing that up. It's a soft spot for me as well, our youth, mentoring, uh, increasing opportunity, and introducing young people to some of the really great opportunities for uh, work and careers that pay a living wage job. It's one thing that we can do at the port to combat the challenges of homelessness and uh, housing crisis and all those things is to support and, and grow living wage jobs at the port. And that starts with young people, even in high school. We have a fantastic uh, internship program here that uh, was initiated by my predecessors, uh, Courtney Gregoire and Stephanie Bowman, who's still on the commission, have been champions uh, for the internship programs. And every year we take... Uh, I think close to 200, maybe it's 125, I don't want to brag or exaggerate, but uh, uh, summer work programs that actually pay uh, $15 an hour. Uh, and all, virtually all areas of the port, all of our operations from maritime to, to, to airport, uh, everything we do, we have openings. And I, I don't have the schedule in front of me for applying for those jobs, but they're fantastic jobs. Uh, we also have um, one of my colleagues, Ryan uh, Calkins, working on the development uh, of a future maritime high school, a high school mm -hmm. uh, that would support, you know, the inter introduction of all of the maritime kinds of work opportunities, career opportunities, training, research, innovation, things like that. Um, and he's getting a tremendous amount of interest uh, from uh, community-wide from businesses and advocates and education educators uh, for this concept. It's, uh, I think the only comparable model would be the Aviation High School, of mm -hmm. course, uh, at a High Point School District. Um, but so we're excited about working with young people. We want to, I want to, as a, a high priority, increase opportunities, uh, just even getting exposure 
you know, to these opportunities is a good thing. But having a paid summer work program for young people is a great place to start. That keeps them out of trouble. We did have uh, Commissioner Ryan Calkins on two weeks ago. Oh, you did? Yeah, he's been on a couple of times. We've also had some private meetings with him. Well, good. And, and I guess the other thing, looking at uh, the uh, out at the airport, uh, there seems to be a little inconsistency, and you and I had a conversation about right. this several months ago. Uh, but I guess uh, I, I was an advocate for the ACDBs out there, and a lot of them, you know, had to be under host and Hudson, what have oh, yeah. you. And the, the ACDBs that wanted to go that were on their own seemed to kind of caught the blues. Uh, but there was one situation that came up where uh, uh, one of the companies was asked to build, to invest in a kiosk. Uh-huh. And after his company put out over $50,000, uh, he got a call on like on Monday morning, uh, forget the kiosk. So uh, I just don't understand how a decision like that could be made and this company not be compensated because I know the ports paid out of a hell of a lot of money for people who have been accused of discrimination, and they got paid on the way out. Now, here we have a company, uh, a minority company that's struggling, and, you know, you say build this, and then it doesn't happen. And then I guess the other uh, issue that was brought to my attention is that uh, when people are building out the lease spaces yes. and, you know, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, and now it's out now to the point like, well, you can't sell certain foods now, and then the street pricing issue – I don't know how much you know about that, but uh, I, mean, it, I know something about okay, it. Okay, good. That's good. I want to make sure that it was brought to your attention. I don't want to call anybody's names or anything because I believe <laughs> that if the powers that be, like yourself and Ryan Calkins, know what's going on because he knows about the challenges uh, of this small company. And actually, Ryan Calkins did have a face to face meeting with this ACDB owner. So I just want, I'm glad to hear that you are aware of it. And so I know if you're aware of it, something will be done about it. So that's our, good to hear. Uh, yeah, tell our listening public what ACDB means. That's Airport Concessionaire Disadvantaged okay. Business Enterprise Program. So that would be restaurants, concessionaires primarily. And as you know, uh, this is an extremely difficult and challenging area, I will say, from my limited experience here. Uh, we have 51 million people passing through the airport every year. It's the biggest gathering spot in a five-state uh, region. You can imagine the competition for small businesses working against larger businesses to get a spot at SeaTac Airport, you know, and have that potential level of, uh, of, of, of passengers that, you know, want to buy something, want to have a snack, whatever, you know, and it, the competition is tremendously fierce. We're, we're required by the federal law to have uh, to impose um, uh, an equitable selection process, and we have our own uh, goals in that regard as well. And sometimes some of the goals conflict with other goals in the whole process of selection, you know, of the final uh, award of concession. So it's extremely challenging. There's all kinds of legalities involved mm-hmm. in it. We're still developing uh, to make it better and more and fairer and more equitable. That I will take up any uh, issue that anyone brings to my attention that is uh, of, of a concern, such as you raised mm-hmm. uh, regarding fairness, equity, uh, and the rest uh, in that regard. Uh, and we we want to treat um, you know our our bidders well. We want to treat the uh, the people who operate small businesses there. We want to increase opportunity. Years ago, you know, there was not even getting through the door. Yeah, I know. There, you know. And it was totally controlled by big business. 
And that hasn't made happy some of our local larger business concessionaires either, you know. Yeah, well, you know, Host is owned by a, a, a Italian uh, a conglomerate, and Hudson's owned by a Swiss company. Well, there and you go. So, so I'm just saying, but you know, uh, there, there's just some inconsistencies, and, and, and I, I really well, think you know, I think that you and Ryan and Commissioner Calkins, uh, I missed uh, Commissioner Sam Cho at the, but he did respond to the picture of you and I put on Facebook, <laughs> said I missed him. I want to let everybody know you're going to be on the air today, sir. But. Oh, well. But uh, I bumped the uh, direct executive director to come on the air here. So, okay, know. we're gonna get Steve on too. All but right. anyway, I just want to thank you so much All for right. your time awesome. today. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have that that individual call you. Yeah, please do that. I'll give you my number over the air if you want. It's a two zero six seven eight seven three zero three four. That's two zero six seven eight seven three zero three four, and my email is steinbrook.p at portseattle.org, uh, and I spelling is steinbrook s t e i n b r u e c k steinbrook.p as in Peter at portseattle.org. Okay, and you're also on on Facebook with uh, some of that information. I am. You're right, Eddie. Okay, man. And, and Peter, just one thing in terms of yeah, equality. Let's look at the build-out cost to make sure that everybody's being treated the same. The okay. minority firms are paying more. And also, let's look at foot traffic, too. Where am I at in the airport? Because we know Auto Grill, that foreign corporation. Hey, put uh, the mayor on. Put the mayor. You got one more minute, uh, Commissioner? Yeah, I got one more. Okay, one more minute. Why don't you put uh, Mayor Jimmy Jimmy Mata? Jimmy. Mayor Mata. Mayor Mata. You're on with uh, Commissioner Chair Peter Steinbrook. How you doing, Commissioner Steinberg? How you doing today? Hey, Mayor Mata, you got time to call in the radio stations, huh? And listen to your, your, your colleague got, here. Good to hear I from you. Got to have my ears and eyes open. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> well, good, good talking to you, uh, Commissioner Steinberg. And you know, we, we look forward to continuing the relationship between Burien and the port. You well Definitely. know, uh, you know, we're, we're neighbors here at the port, at the airport, and so you know, we have some challenges, but I know we're working through them. Okay. And, and they need to give you guys some money out there for that air traffic noise. Come on, I'll say it. Well, we just put up $10 million recently for that. Uh, last year in our budget, we, we created a new fund, a community fund with the sort support, full support of my colleagues. We established that last year. We're still working on, a, on an equitable way to distribute those funds throughout the uh, South King County community, such as Maramata's uh, community. Okay, tell us, uh, the CEO, Steve Metric, we're sorry we infringed on so much of his time today. <laughs> okay. You're supposed to be in a meeting with him. But oh, I well. guess since you're the boss, he has to tolerate it. You, you got that right. <laughs> okay, then. Thank you very much, Commissioner Steinbrook. We hey, appreciate have it. Have a good day. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Jimmy Mata, congratulations. Hey, thank you. I want to thank both of you for having me here on the radio station. As you well know, uh, you know how our communities are changing, and uh, you've seen it over time. And so now it's my turn to... You know, see it and, and, and be concerned and continue the efforts in the fight of making sure that we find equality and justice for all. Well, after the 40 years, the plus years I've been knowing you, that's what has been your motto, right. fighting for justice. But why don't you just share with our listeners a little bit about uh, you're the first Latino mayor. Burien's been incorporated since for 27 years. Is that correct? Uh, so we've been incorporated for about 26 years. Okay. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, uh, we became a city 26 years ago. And Really, what we came to city is that you know we had some concerns with the airport, you know, the way things were operating uh, with the county, and you know, we decided that uh, we wanted to become a city, and we've been a city ever since. I've I've lived here in this community for about 22 years. Um, you know, I raised my son and 
my daughter was born here in Burien. And that's a lovely little community, you know, we're known as Foodie Paradise. Um, and it's a place where we understand what, uh, how the community is changing and we want to celebrate our differences and our different languages and spices from around the world. And what give our, our uh, folks, uh, our listeners, the demographics, the population, uh, the geographic size? So we have about 52,000 residents. Uh, there are 52,000 residents, over 40, I would say about 43% are people of color. Uh, the biggest population of that is about 25% Hispanic. Uh, the second biggest population is Asian. Asian, And we, we, we all know that what's going on with the International District, I mean, we're continuing to grow. And also with the African-American community gentrification in the Central District, you know, we have our African-Americans uh, being represented here in the city uh, with growth, uh, you know, in our community. Now, gentrification is, is coming to Burien. Is that right? Gentrification has come to Washington. I hear uh, my fellow uh, members of the community in eastern Washington where farm workers can't even find housing anymore, uh, and more specifically here in Burien, right, uh, we have gentrification occurring and, you know, the housing uh, continuing to be taxed. And as people get taxed, obviously somebody has to pay the burden, and it ends up being uh, people of color, poor people, uh, middle, working middle class. And so that's where we're at here in Burien, right? Uh, you know, there's a lot of growth that's occurring. Growth is good, but we also, I know that, um, at least myself, I'm not speaking for the council here, but I know that I want to make sure that if we're going to do any kind of growth, that we have some smart growth and that, uh, you know, we, we have restaurants, we have food. But more than anything, I think here, uh, Mr. Ray, is that I'm concerned about what's happening with our small mom-and-pop businesses, right? One thing is, you know, the place to live, but it's, you know, some of these businesses that have been open for a long, long time, Chinese restaurants, Mexican restaurants, you know, uh, you know uh, African-American-owned businesses, um, and so now, as we start gentrifying, where are they going to be able to conduct their business? And that's what's concerning to me is I'd like to see the port. I'd like to see the county, the state. I'd like to see an international, you know, mall uh, where you can come in and it's, uh, you know, people of color doing business, right, um, in affordable places where they can do business, where we can teach them uh, how to make sure that they, uh, you know, they're running their business, their overhead, their profits. And, uh, you know, we should have an international market here, a place that we celebrate diversity in what we talk about. Well, we should have a place where there's six by six little offices, 20 by 20, maybe eight by eight. And uh, we could have businesses set up from uh, diff- different parts of the world. So I'd like to see that, you know, in the next uh, several years. Yeah, go ahead. Here well, well Mayor Mata, you know, I've, I've been listening to a couple of these real estate shows, and they say some of the hottest property to buy now is right there in your backyard in Burien. They're saying they're getting a good price. It's going nowhere but up in value. What about the seniors? Because you were speaking sort of to that when you talked about the historical small businesses. What about those long-time residents getting a little old right now? Uh, prices are going up, therefore their taxes are going up. What can be done to protect them? Well, you know, I know that the state leaders have done some, some good work in making sure that there's, you know, some programs there to help our elderly. and some, In some instances, not pay, you know, not have to pay the full amount, right? But the reality is, yeah, they're, they're getting up there in age. Um, well, I know there's programs for the county and the state, but more than anything, right, it's their children and their grandchildren that are being affected drastically uh, with the increase of prices. And so, you know, my son, um, you know, it's very hard for him to find a place to be able to live. He's cut out of college. Both his girlfriend and himself have 
well, my son went into the trade, so he doesn't have a big uh, payback that he has to do. I mean, he went, he got a four-year business degree and went into an apprenticeship program and paid for it out of his pocket by working uh, during the day and going to college at night. But at least his girlfriend has a big, you know, loan out there. So, you know, I'm sure that uh, beginning of the year, it's $650 a month that she's going to have to pay. I mean, uh, and if they both had to pay 650 bucks uh, for their education, we're talking about $1,200. And if we look at $15 an hour wage, uh, I don't think they're going to be getting anywhere with that. And even if it's at 20, you know, we're still at 30% of medium. And so one of the things that we want to see is when we have developers come into our area that they understand that they're coming into a community where we don't want to price people out of their homes. We want to make sure that there's uh, enough spaces in those facilities to where it's, it's, um, it's um, affordable. And if there's retail in it, make sure that we have, you know, we've never really talked about retail space, right? Mm-hmm. There should be affordable retail space for, you know, these mom and pop shops that are getting this All I can say is that Burian is really lucky to have Jimmy Mata as a mayor because you have a grasp on it, and you've been out here fighting for economic justice forever. Uh, You also went down to Miami with the labor unions, right? Yeah, so I worked out of the Miami market, you know, and uh, I used to be a labor leader, and I consider myself an individual that understands and respects the labor movement, the workers, right? I own my own business, so I also know that, you know, I have my own business. My son helps me in my construction business. And so, you know, business has to make a profit or they can't create employment. The question with me is, you know, that there's been a couple instances where an individual comes in and says, well, I want my taxes to be forgiven. Yeah, I don't forgive my taxes, right? I don't have anybody asking, uh, do you want us to forgive your taxes? And on top of that, I want to make sure that when my workers are working, that they have uh, health care, that they have pension, that they have uh, the ability to go through an apprenticeship program. And I'm a firm believer of apprenticeship programs, health care, and pensions so you can retire in dignity when you've given your whole life and creating wealth uh, for the investors. So to me, it was important for me to be a union contractor and make sure that when we're bringing in our children to work, that they build a career so they can feed themselves and their families for life. You know, uh, what congressional district are you in now again? I'm in, uh, Pramila Jayapal is my uh, congressional leader, uh, great leader. She's doing a good job with pushing back on the Donald Trump administration's um, you know, tack, bully tactics is he, is he, that he's using, you know, with other countries and with our own country, right? And, mm-hmm. You know, I'm pretty upset about, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're all aware, but we had a lawsuit with the FAA, and uh, we ended up prevailing in, um, in the courts. And so now they've come back, uh, they're pushing back, you know, basically being bullies, uh, and we're not going to tolerate it. And so I know that uh, our community members are coming together, we're meeting uh, we're saying we're not gonna stand, we're not gonna let Big Brother push us over. And, now, uh, be specific about what you're you're, you're, you're so basically what we ended up having is we ended up having a lawsuit that we won in Ninth Circuit Court, mm-hmm. and so it's about airplanes and uh, airplanes that go over our city, right? Okay. And so we ended up prevailing. Uh, it was it was uh, in the Ninth Circuit Court, and so we want that published. And just recently, we've been told that it won't be published, and we don't understand why. We have a meeting coming up on Friday to figure out what's the reasoning behind that. So are you uh, be meeting with, with Commissioner Steinbrook? There you go. Well, we'll be meeting with, you know, yesterday I know there was a meeting with our city manager in the airport. Okay. Uh, we have pulled out of a committee called START, um, and which is all organizations that sit their other cities, um, the airport, um, uh, the airlines, um, the FAA, and there were some things we just didn't like the way they were moving 
and as a city, and our citizens who sit on those boards felt that they were being uh, just ramrodded. And so Federal Way and Des Moines and Burien decided that we were going to remove ourselves from that committee mm. until there was 13 uh, points that we, we've asked uh, the port and, you know, along with the FAA and uh, airlines to be able to uh, answer before, you know, we, we continue to participate. And so, look, the port, um, it's a big machine, right? And it's, it's the economic engine of our county. Uh, but we want to make sure that you know, environmental justice is always in the front foot of the lens because we saw what happened in Los Angeles where, you know, you've seen Latinos and African-American kids who, you know, had gas, you know, jet fuel, yeah, you know, basically right, yeah. on their skin, right? So <clears throat> we want to make sure that profits are being had but not on the backs of uh, people of color in the community that I represent. Well, Mayor Mata, I want to change the subject right quick. Uh, just yesterday, uh, the person was convicted of a hate crime, a person that assaulted you. Could you share with our listeners what happened and what was the results of uh, the judge's or the jury's decision? Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening is I had an individual in And it's on my Facebook page. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, in 2018, he assaulted me, um, grabbed me by the neck, and uh, basically said, uh, well, I'm not gonna, you think you're some kind of celebrity here? We're not going to let you or you illegal Latino take over a community. I'm pretty upset about the sanctuary city ordinance that I support because of the lack of political will and the lack of vision of a Congress that can't get our immigration system uh, set right. I mean, we've had people here for 20, 30 years that uh, you know they've already been members of our community. So since the since Congress can't get this done, we have to regulate this at a local level. I want to make sure that when uh, somebody, regardless of their status, sees a crime that they're not scared of our law enforcement agency and reporting the crime. I mean, it's important for us, regardless of their religion um, or their nationality or their legal status, they should be able to, you know, trust our police officers and trust our city government. And so I'm a supportive of Sanctuary Cities. The individual wasn't too happy about that. And, you know, look, I am all for this is America, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. And so we should have the right to go lobby our elected officials. We have the right to voice our opinion, the right to march, and to be able to change electeds who are not representing us to the best of their ability. But we do not have the right to grab somebody and try to hurt them based on what they believe. And so this individual, you know, the FBI, it went to the U.S. Department of Justice, to the FBI, kicked down back down to state court. Um, Basically, we were set to go to trial um, and we ended up getting to a point where he, you know, first there was going to be some charges that I didn't think met met the uh, threshold that I needed to be able to see justice. And I'm glad that, you know, state attorney general was able to have a fourth degree assault. He has to give some money to the ADL. Uh, he has to go. Uh, he has to take a drug and alcohol evaluation. Um, he has to pay my restitution because I ended up having doctor bills when this occurred. And uh, you know, and, and the reality is, you know, um, it's to send him a message and everybody else a message that we're not going to tolerate um, anything that has to do with uh, uh, hate crimes, uh, assault, uh, and I'm happy that at least here in the judicial system we were able to find somewhat justice. Uh, doesn't rectify what he did, but I do know that it, it, it says it says a message that we're not going to allow that in Washington State. We shouldn't allow that in our country. You're absolutely right. Uh, now, in terms of uh, moving forward, 
Uh, but first of all, I want to thank you for participating in the Martin Luther King event. And I think you're there about every year in the march, and you bring a contingency of folks with you as well. So I do want to thank you for that. As a matter of fact, that uh, selfie. Now, who was the brother that took all the pictures on that day for you? Uh, that's uh, Muhammad Jama. Muhammad Jama. Muhammad Jama. We want to thank you for the photos because I was able to use the one that we took right outside of Garfield on the MLK Day last Monday to put on my Facebook page to let people know that you'd be on today. And I also well, you know, posted I did, uh, the article about the person being brought to justice for assaulting you uh, in the hate crime. You know, uh, Eddie, I've known you for a long time, right? And I remember you on the street and always defending uh, the rights of all of us, right? And, um, and, and, you know, you are the reflection of the African-American community. Uh, but I love the fact that you've represented all of us. And I want to tell a little story about Mr. Jama, who was the first or second youngest Somali, first Somali elected as the president of um, the student body at the Highline Community College. This young man called me two years ago when I won. He sent me an email, he called me, and he kept on trying to get a hold of me. He goes, hey, I want to represent my community as well. And so, you know, he is, you know, I'm mentoring him. Uh, and one, more than anything, he's learning from me and I'm learning from him. And we're learning about our different communities. And I was so happy for him to be there and and to be celebrating a man that I look up to, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, we can't forget, we can celebrate him, but we can't forget really what his mission was and what the fight's all about. Well, you stand right on top of it. You're a good reflection, uh, Mayor Mata, and we appreciate all that you're doing. And I'm just so glad that the person that assaulted you was brought to justice. Hope that'll send a message to a lot of uh, folks that have uh, bigotry in their heart and in their mind. So thank you very much, and we'll stay in touch and continue working together. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. And I want to thank Javier Valdez because we today, we didn't have hate crime in Washington until I got assaulted. Uh, Javier Valdez and uh, several other uh, leaders took on the fight to make sure that it was clear. When it's hate, it's hate. It's not malicious harassment. It's a hate crime, and we're going to get, they're going to be prosecuted as a hate crime. And so I want to thank Latino Civic Alliance and all the uh, coalitions that came together in making sure that the House and the Senate passed. Uh, legislation that was reflective of what we need to have in the state where the hate, it's a hate crime, it's a hate crime, let's call it for what it is. That's right. right. You know, Hayward and I, uh, along with Pastor Ricky Willis, <clears throat> we were with Javier on Tuesday. We made a trip to Olympia in support of the McKinney Coalition's uh, funding from the governor's supplemental budget for the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority, and we'll be doing that training, like you said. We'll have the pre-apprenticeship program. We'll work closely with you and others. And uh, Jimmy Mata, thank you so much, and we'll stay in constant contact because we're on a mission to bring about justice and equality for all the people. And, and, and thank Mayor you, Mata, just on a different note, now, now President Steinbeck, uh, uh, the uh, commissioner, said $10 million went to your community. Now, I know that you have an environmental impact fee or something like that as part of those 13 compensation points you were talking about. Is there any dollar amount floating around? Not at this point. Okay. Not at this point. Okay, uh, well, we'll, stay on, we'll stay on it. But I want to let everybody know. I want to thank you. I want to say hi to the community. And don't forget to be counted. The census is coming. And on top of that, don't forget to register to vote and vote. There our you vote go. is there our power. Go. And who we elect matters. You're right about that. But, Mayor Mata, this is you always have a standing invitation. Anytime you need to get on Urban Forum Northwest, hey, you can be on, brother. We appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you both. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Okay, we're going to take a break and come back after this message. Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an ORCA card, and more at ulink2016.org. Link Light Rail. More stations, more places. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, we're back to Urban Forum Northwest with Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. I want to say that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transfer Small Business Develop at Development and Labor Compliance Office, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, Concourse Concession to Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group LLC with the two Desert Storm veterans, <clears throat> Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsett. And Stephanie Ogle sold this media, does our technology. And, uh, you know, uh, just mentioning that, uh, hey, we're doing the break, that uh, we did make a trip down to Olympia in support of uh, the McKinney Coalition, McKinney Center uh, for Community and Economic Development. Uh, we were representing the McKinney Coalition. And we'll plan a trip again next Tuesday. Uh, there's emails that went out to a lot of McKinney members and supporters. And we're asking you to please email and call the individuals who are making the decisions in Olympia. And uh, so uh, there's about 140 emails went out. Uh, in terms of the board of directors, there will be a selection committee that will be appointed jointly by members of the McKinney Coalition, uh, Representative Eric Pettigrew, Representative Sharon Santos, and Senator Rebecca Saldana, the three uh, legislators from uh, the 37th District where the property is, and want to remind everybody that the uh, building at 22nd and Jackson came about as a result of Reverend Samuel McKinney working with Leon Sullivan uh, with the Opportunities Industrialization Program. That's how it got here. There was a commitment made to our community by Lyndon Johnson for the Great Society Programs, kicked off with the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65, Fair Housing of 68, and all of those have been challenged. I'm going to tell people that Amazon tomorrow I am the uh, kicking off their Black History Month, and I'll be letting them know <laughs> that we have to do something different than what we've been doing. We have laws, but sometimes the laws don't apply. And if you've been watching the impeachment hearing, I tell you, some <laughs> things just don't matter, Hayward. They even try to put. They even try to say it was Obama. Come on now, come on now. Now you're going to try to flip this whole thing around and say it's Obama. And that last statement that came out. Well, you know, the president had the right to do it, had the right. It was legal to rig the election, yeah, to, <laughs> to reach out to foreign entities of, regarding elections and to investigate his opponent. That's why it is imperative that we register and vote this year. Uh, the voters will decide the, the congressional districts will be drawn and uh, funds allocated based on uh, your, uh, your district. So I would strongly suggest that everybody get registered and vote, and then I'm getting calls about yeah. discrimination, join the NAACP. Uh, I know they've done it. Uh, Carolyn Riley Payne's done an outstanding job with Claude Burpick out at Kennedy working with the black parents, and I got some more information about some real serious racism uh, going on out at the Issaquah School District, yeah. and I got a call back from a uh, lady about that. She did send me the information. I will forward it to Carolyn Riley Payne. I will afford it uh, to... Uh, uh, Gerald Hankerson. Our next guest is Reverend Dr. 
uh, Robert L. Jeffrey Sr., uh, who is uh, a wizard when it comes down to economic development. I mean, anytime you can start the Black Holidays Task Force, uh, the Clean Greens Market, and then have a farm to supply the groceries, he's one bad brother. They just, they just cut the ribbon on some townhouses, and I was there a couple of weeks ago to hear a gentleman from uh, Harlem that is doing some fantastic things. Dr. Jeffrey, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. So why don't you go ahead and take off and let us know what's going on, sir. Well, thanks, Eddie. I appreciate, you know, the opportunity to, to just talk. Um, well, you know, we're, as you said, um, we're trying to right now um, uh, begin the process of trying to strengthen the community. Now, I know a lot of people wonder why we began with townhouses. Um, we have five townhouses. We plan on selling two of them and, and uh, renting three of them out. But right now, we're in the process of reclaiming and, and strengthening. And uh, we're going to, we have plans to build low income housing uh, across the street. But um, right now, we're in the process of just trying to reclaim and strengthen. One of the things that um, uh, everybody needs to understand is we have to build wealth because you can build housing. If you have no wealth, they can come back and take the housing away. Right. We have to build wealth. We have to create the land that we have now is very valuable land. We can't give this land away. We have to create, use this land to create wealth, wealth for our institutions, like wealth for the New Hope or wealth for the uh, New Hope Development Institute, which is a community organization which we created, which the wealth will be held by that community organization that is generated by the five townhouses. So we have to create wealth because ultimately – in order to be in control of our destiny, we need money. So that's why we're in the process now of creating that money. And I know a lot of people don't understand that, but, um, but that's important. And then, of course, we also have plans to build low-income housing uh, uh, down the road in a, in a, in a year. Uh, Dr. Punter from, from New York is going to be assisting us with some of the low-income housing that we're, we're, we're going to be developing, as well as Lehigh. Uh, that their Income Rev, I love what you just said because uh, I've been telling people on this from the perspective of civil rights. Now we've made some huge gains, but those monetary rights—it's about the money right now in 2020, th- this next decade. And so I appreciate what you're saying. I like that too. Uh, build five, mm-hmm. sell two, keep three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Keep building, even even from that perspective. But in, yeah. in terms of the, uh, your farming interests and your other enterprises, uh, what, what's going on? The, the, uh, the New Hope Development Institute, now, is that open to everybody or is it just something held yeah, by the yeah, church? Yeah, it's going to be. It's just open to the community. I mean, it's, we're right now uh, building the board on it. Uh, uh, Ms. Lanisha DeBarlevin is, is chair of the board. And mm. um, uh, uh, right now I serve as vice chair. But, you know, that's temporary. I don't intend to be... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, on the board uh, all the time. I mean, you got to be the worker bee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you can't uh, be on the board and be the worker bee. But Lanisha <laughs> yeah. will be on uh, next week because I'm just glad you mentioned her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, she's the chair of the board as well as a head of the, uh, 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 the museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that the thing, the thing about building wealth is we have to remember that in Chicago they built the Cabrini Green Towers. Mm-hmm. Downtown Chicago, mm-hmm. that in its day, that was supposed to be what Chicago was doing for the low income. But then they came back and tore them down, 
And now where the Cabrini Green was, there's modern uh, 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 institutions for the rich. And that's because when you build low-income housing that is not sustainable without building wealth, you set yourself up for the future. You set your future community up for it to be uh, taken over. Sounds like Yesler Terrace, High Point, Holly Park. Yeah, oh, oh, all of that. Same thing happened there. All of that. You know, I was looking through the files the other day, and I wanted to talk about something that happened in New Hope. In 1969, uh, the land that is adjacent to New Hope, uh, which is now a park, uh, the Parks Department took that land for $34,000. We, we found letters uh, that C.E. Williams wrote to protest the taking of that land, but they took it anyway. Now, that land is valued at $6 million, and they took it on the basis of uh, a report, the Yesler Atlantic Report Summary Conclusion. And I don't know if you've read that report. No, I haven't. No, I'm going to that now. report says, I want to read you a section of it. At present, the community, this was done in 6061. At present, the community is totally segregated. Here are the colored, the poor, the <laughs> ignorant, the unfortunate, the undesirable, the weak. <laughs> to preserve this community for decent folk and families, three things are needed. We have to encourage middle class and upper class whites to move into the community. We have to relocate those undesirables, the purveyors of vice and crime, the chronic troublemakers, the undeserving, the undeserving poor, who are the source of most of the social blight in Seattle. That's in the report. Oh, I got to get a copy of that, Reverend. Yeah, yeah, we need to get a copy of that. I, I think, I think, you know, it's time to uh, uh, approach uh, the mayor and the city council to do the right thing. Yeah, that, on the basis that, of this, on the basis of these assumptions, they began to seize land. And, and and I think that that's, that's wrong. I mean, I, I just think that taking land from people, take, for example, taking land that's valued at $6 million for $34,000 on the basis of an assumption and a lie is wrong. Then we're the undesirables that's and right. troublemakers that's and right. deadbeats. Boy, boy, it's boy. Undeserving poor. Undeserving. Okay. After 400 years and 250 years of slavery... Uh, another 154 years of Jim Crow and second-class citizenship, uh, and we're undeserving. Died in every war, but we're undeserving. Well, I can give you all copies of Yeah, we definitely want a copy. No, we definitely want a copy of it. I'll give you a copy of that. Yeah, because I really think, Dr. Washington State Civil Rights Coalition needs to step in on this as well. So, And that is a multiracial group, advocates for justice and equality in all the communities of color. So I will definitely want to circulate that report. There, there are those who will say now that we don't believe that now, but their decisions are based on the assumptions that were made during the urban renewal, all of that period of time. All of the decisions that they're making now are based on those assumptions. That, program, that, that report was written prior to the passage of the Civil Rights Act 1964. It was written in 1961. It was written during segregation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and marginalization. Okay. No, no, we just have to uh, have a reality check on that one, Doc. We really do. And we want to know, would you like to get that land back? Is this something that oh, you Oh, absolutely, really absolutely. Like? I'm saying, let's it, get the land. It came back. It, it came from New Hope. New Hope we got to go back it. to New Hope. Right. Yeah, and, then, and, and one of the sentences says, because they are poor, because they are not caucasoid, caucasoid, caucasoid or 
white. Not white. Because they are different and ignorant and unfortunate. These people must live wherever they can. <laughs> well, okay. even, well, this is uh, 2020. <laughs> they ran us out <laughs> the neighborhood again. But anyway, uh, no, we have to deal with that one, Doc. I'm with you all the way on that one. we got to get a copy report. This is before report. weed and seed. We, this is before all of that mm, stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the premises on which they base the introduction of weed and seed and everything else they mm-hmm. did. Well, no, we need to. We definitely need to deal with that. As a matter I of fact, this might even be before the I ninety corridor. Yeah, you might. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Ripped off on that one too. Because the other thing they had planned on doing, uh, that was in the in the eighties, they were going to have, uh, or seventies, really. They were R. H. Thompson was going to come down from five twenty, uh, down between twenty six and twenty eight, hook up with I ninety. The only thing that saved the black community was the trees in the arboretum. You could not uh, just hurt the trees, but we didn't yeah. make any difference. So, But you can hurt those who are the undeserving, undeserving poor. Undeserving, undeserving poor. It, it's even where Shalu Stadium is right now. When Metro turned that over to them, that was supposed to be a people's park. And as soon as they got it down the line, they built it up. Now you can't even get into it. You have to go through a gate. They locked the community out of it, and that was supposed to be a community facility. That was the reason why that land was given to Seattle University. So you can see it everywhere. It's prevalent. The, the thing is, everything is being based on assumptions. Assumptions built even before, during the period of segregation and during the period before the Civil Rights Movement, but assumptions that have never been rethought, assumptions that have never been uh, 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 totally uh, uh, rejected. Yeah. I mean, so these assumptions are still going on, and they're, they're still moving. The city is still moving on the basis of these assumptions. And that's why I'm so glad to hear you say this. I know Eddie and I are really looking forward to getting that report. And that's why we're glad you're part of the McKinney Coalition so we can come together and start taking some of our community back. I think we have to. I think that, yeah, we, uh, I think that we have to. We have to. We, this, these kinds of statements and these kinds of reports uh, indicate that there is no will on the part of the city to ever do anything uh, uh, that is systemic or structured for the advantage, to the advantage of African-American people. Well, no, we're going to deal with that one. Doc, right. what I want to also talk about is uh, the Black Dollar Days Task Force, the clean, green market, and the and also okay. the farm. Okay. Yeah, well, the farm is going strong. Miss Lottie Cross is, is uh, preserving it. And, you know, hats off to her. Hats off to the women heroines in this community who have uh, taken things and taken ideas and just, just ran with them. Ms. Cross has been doing the farm for now for the last 10 years, and the farm has been in existence for 13 years. And she has uh, single-handedly kept this thing going, a lot of the times by her own money. But now we are in a position now, we have the farm going. We have about six acres that we farm. We bring in uh, organic vegetables into the city each year. Uh, We have sites at uh, uh, one of the hospitals uh, downtown, at uh, Harborview, and we are, we're getting ready to develop another site uh, somewhere in the central area for the upcoming year. So, Where's yeah, the farm located, Doc? It's in Duval. Okay. And how, how, Duval. how big is the farm? Well, we had in the beginning 21 acres, but we had to cut it down to, to uh, about six acres. Now we farm only six acres because of the absent. We didn't have the ability to, to uh, generate the kind of money that we needed to farm the uh, 21 acres, but we, we raise a lot of food on that, on that, on those six acres. And uh, 
Uh, we bring in fresh greens, all kinds of uh, uh, organic vegetables into the community. We're right now talking with um, a group from uh, east of the mountains about uh, bringing in fruit and working with us to bring in fruit from east of the mountains so that uh, we can add fruit to what we bring in. Uh, but um, the farm is going great, and, and I think that what the, the, the point of the farm is to demonstrate that the food that we're eating is corrupt food, that, that uh, yeah. the vegetables and everything uh, have been uh, 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 infused with all kinds of chemicals and all kinds of growth hormones and those kinds of things that we need to understand that if we're going to uh, take care and preserve the health of our community, we need to watch the food. We need to raise our own food. We need to grow our own food. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Now, in terms of, uh, I guess, you can only have the market open after well after the harvest. So, why don't you uh, yeah. talk to, talk to a little bit about the harvest and uh, well, the, harvest, the, the the farmers uh, the clean greens farm uh, market. The harvest lasts uh, probably from uh, May till the end of October, uh, and then um, and then of course we till the ground and prepare it for winter. We grow from uh, probably February till uh, the beginning of May. We start planting around the end of February hmm. and till the end of May. And uh, we start harvesting around June. Uh, and then we start to market up around the middle of June. Where's the market set up, Doc? At the Harborview. Okay, so It'll it's at Harborview. Okay. I'm sorry, I missed that. Be, we're, we're, we're trying to find a location in the central area where we can set it up. This food is virtually given away. I mean, people say people, you can go to Safeway and buy a bunch for $2, but you're only going to get about five leaves and those six leaves in it. We give at least 15, 16 leaves in our bunches and, and for $2. And, this, and the food that we, the greens and the, and the vegetables that we, give, that, we, that we sell, we sell them, only sell them so that to cover the, the, some of the expenses that we have, that we incur. Uh, those vegetables, are uh, we give about 15 and we give a, and we try to cut the price as much as we can. We also give a lot of food away to the food banks. We give a lot of food away. If people come up to the stand and they don't have any money, we still give them money, give them the food. I mean, this is we're trying to send a message that that food matters. That this this whole concept of of of, of food being intimidated and being contaminated is real, and that our people are being left out. Of, of this whole food uh, 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 revolution because we can't afford whole food prices. We can't afford those prices. We can't afford to shop in stores where where the rich shop, where they can eat food that is not contaminated. So our children are being poisoned by the food that they buy and by the food that we eat. And that's, that's a problem for the, for the 21st century. That's a problem going forward, forward. And I don't know how we're going to solve that problem. I think that the city, the communities, or the city should subsidize community-based stores so that these kinds of uh, 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 organic foods can be sold at reasonable prices so our people can stop being poisoned. Well, that's a that's a good mission to have because we hear consistently hear about the quality of food, and then this is right off a farm. Uh, how far is Duval from here? About twenty-five miles or less? About forty-five miles. About yeah. forty-five miles. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, uh, so do you have anything else coming up, Doctor, next week or so for Black History Month or any we, guest speakers coming we, in? What we, are, what we are planning, Eddie, is uh, Dr. Punter is coming back in October. And what we want is to have a two-day conference on economic development. And we want to invite uh, city officials to that conference where we can talk about um, financing community uh, uh, regrowth and, and community rebuild and, um, and, and demonstrating what is being done in Harlem and where the city is in cooperation with community people to finance uh, uh, housing and, and, and other, ki- other forms of community rebuild. That's not just low-income housing. Even though we need low-income housing, we need more. We need to build wealth. And one of the things that uh, we are committed to do, the, the development committee is committed to do, is to take percentages of the wealth that we have and, and create an equity fund for the community. Okay. Well, Doc, we're just about out of time, but I just want to say that uh, let's hook up. Uh, was that Dr. Hunter from Harlem? Dr. Punter, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. we like to get him on there with you. So thank you very much okay. for the time today, and thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back and close out in a minute. Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an ORCA card, and more at ulink2016.org. Link Light Rail. More stations, more places. Broaden your horizons. You'll be amazed at all the topics we cover on Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, uh, before we check out, I want to give a shout out of condolence to the family of Donnie Howe, who grew up with all of us. Uh, he was funeralized on Monday at uh, Mount Tahoma National Cemetery. Uh, so uh, uh, Donnie died a free man. That's all I can say. So I want to give a shout out uh, to uh, his children, his grandchildren, and the mothers of his children. Uh, once again, remind you that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office with Leslie Jones in charge, the City of Seattle's uh, Purchasing and Construction Services Office uh, with Liz Alzier, Port of Seattle Diversity Contracting Office, Mia and Rice, Concourse Concession, Dave Fukuhara. David, you might get some help from... Uh, from the chairman of the Port Commission. That's right. <laughs> and then SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, the two Desert Storm veterans, First Lieutenant Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsett. Uh, Stephanie Ogle does our website. And I want to say that folks need to get busy. I want to thank uh, the folks that organized the Martin Luther King event. Uh, Sade did an outstanding job. Sade Moore is the chair. Gene Buskin is always on top of everything. Uh, as a secretary, and K.L. Shannon and Bob Barnes with the, logis- with the Logistics Committee had an outstanding march. And uh, the Ta- day... Uh, Tana, the youth event was Oh, yeah, Tana Yasu. And then on the front page of Medium Day, the whole front page is do- uh, dedicated to Kobe Bryant uh, as very uh, worthy. And then also uh, the Medium's uh, Martin Luther King annual commemoration editions out. So I want to make sure that everybody reads that. And then Hayward Evans and I will see you uh, next week. We're going to have uh, uh, Lanisha from uh, the Northwest African American Museum on to talk about what they're doing for Black History Month. So thank you very much. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you next Thursday.